Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals that like to sit around, drink coffee, talk about true crime, and also murder. Murder. Well, occasional murder. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. murder, murder yeah. in the times. Murder. But known to dabble in the murder talk. Dabbling in the murder. <laughs> mm-hmm. The murder where we sip on our coffee with our beans. <laughs> beans. <laughs> beans. Speaking of beans, ladies and beans, today we are going to travel back to 1928. Have you ever heard of Gordon Northcott? Gordon Northcott was born on November 9th, 1906 in Canada. He was raised in British Columbia, but then he moved to Los Angeles with his parents in 1924. He asked his father to purchase him some land while they were in California about two years later. The land was in Wineville, California, and the business, a chicken ranch. Oh. Mmm. That's not wine. (laughs) No. No, it is not. Okay. Wait, an actual chicken ranch or like a Las Vegas chicken ranch? No, like an actual chicken ranch. Okay, okay, okay. Actual chickens. Chickens. I'm even more confused. (laughs) Gordon got to work on building the chicken ranch and a house, asking his father for help since he was in the construction business, and he asked the help of his nephew, Sanford Clark. It's his sister, Winifred's son. So Gordon drove all the way to Canada to ask his sister if it was okay if Sanford could come to the United States and help out on the ranch. It was far away, but it was family, so he'd be safe, right? He was 14 years old, and once they were back in the States, Gordon physically, emotionally, and sexually abused the boy, which was only the beginning of Gordon Northcott's horrors. Oh, and also, Gordon is 19, just so we know how old Gordon is. So his mother, Sarah Louise Northcott, also lived nearby the ranch and would visit often. She was also rather obsessed with her son, some say. Gordon had a habit of kidnapping young boys and molesting them. Mm. He would often let them go afterwards, going as far as driving them home, but there were many that he did not. The ones that he kept, he would go on to murder them and dissolve their bodies in quicklime. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. It was found that at least four boys were murdered on the Wineville Ranch. It could be up to 20, though. But uh, let's uh, talk about the ones we do know to be true. Ladies and beans, grab your mugs of magical coffee, because here come the murders. So, nine-year-old Walter Collins went missing after he left to go see a movie on March 10th, 1928. BuzzFeed Unsolved True Crime does a really great episode on this case, and it centers around the bizarre happenings after Walter disappeared. So his mother reported him missing... After five days, the search took many different turns. One person came forward and said that they had seen him standing on a street corner in L.A., wrapped in newspaper and only showing his face. Weird. Yeah. The authorities searched, but that lead came up empty. Then the boy was found. Walter was okay. The police reunited the boy and his mother, and after a few days, the mom, Christine Collins, was like, um, this is not my son. (gasps) (laughs) He looks like him, but my son called me mother, and he calls me mom. After the police called her crazy and even put her in a psychiatric ward, (gasps) the boy did come forward and was like, yeah, I'm not Walter. (laughs) Hey, okay, it can happen. This is for 
serious true story. My mom, I was just born. My mom is in the hospital and they come to bring the baby to her for feeding <gasps> and they bring her a baby and they put it in her arms and she goes, this is not my child. Oh my God. And they're like, yeah, it is, Miss Kraft, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, my baby was born with a full head of hair, which I was. This baby is bald. And then the roommate with my mom goes, that's not her baby. Uh, so, you know. Oh, my God. Luckily, I got with the right parents. So they tell me. Oh, yeah. my God. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. A new so, mystery. Know, I mean, it's it it happens. Right. And that was the 80s. And this that's, is way before that. <laughs> that's nutsos. So in this case, the boy does say who he is. So he's like, I'm Arthur Hutchinson Jr., his mother died when he was nine years old, and he'd been kind of living with his stepmom, whom he hated, and he wanted to get away from her and travel to Hollywood to meet his favorite Western star, Tom Mix. When he overheard some folks talking about the missing boy, Walter, in Hollywood, he took it as an opportunity to get where he needed to go. Get it. Yeah. So Wait, how old is this child? He's nine. Yeah, and nine. he's the one with the idea. He's yeah. like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm gonna pretend to be that. Uh -huh. yeah. Whose brain does that at nine years old? He really wanted to see Tom Mix. Twenties, baby, summer of love. Yeah. He, was, <laughs> he was an aspiring actor. Yes. <laughs> so Christine wasn't crazy at all. She knew it wasn't her son, and after, I mean, it took a few days, but she knew it wasn't him. But if he wasn't Walter, then that meant Walter was still missing. Right. So May 16th, 1928, brothers Nelson and Lewis Winslow went missing on their way back from a yacht club meeting. Nelson was 10 and Lewis was 12. Their parents received strange letters saying they were fine and then one said they were going to Mexico and the other said they wanted to stay missing and possibly gain fame from their disappearance. There was also a young man later identified as possibly Alvin Gothia. He worked on the ranch, and his headless body was found in a ditch near a road in La Puenta. His body was found in February 1928. None of this came to light, though, until Jessie Clark made a trip to the ranch. She was Sanford's sister and was worried about him. She made the trip as kind of a wellness check to make sure he was doing okay. I mean, you can't call him, it's the 20s. Uh, it was August 1928, and when she arrived, everything seemed fine. But that night, once Gordon was asleep, Sanford confided in his sister the horrors that were taking place. He told her he was being physically, emotionally, and sexually abused, and that Gordon was kidnapping and molesting young boys, and even murdered four of them. Jesse went back to Canada and told the American Council in Canada what was going on. The council then wrote a letter to the L.A. Police Department informing them of what Jesse had told them. So Gordon and his mother, Sarah, thought that Sanford would never speak up about things. So there was an incident that took place um, to ensure that he wouldn't speak up. But once he was safely in police protection, he did end up telling everybody everything. Good. Yeah. So Alvin Gothia had been shot and decapitated. The body was disposed of in the ditch because Gordon said he had nowhere else to put it. He brought the skull back after dumping the body and crushed the skull. Okay. Walter Collins... Walter Collins had been abducted by Gordon and kept in a chicken coop. Supposedly, Walter had witnessed Gordon help another man kill his mining partner. So he took Walter back to the ranch and abused him. Gordon's mother decided to visit him on this particular day. So he hid the boy in a chicken coop and tried to play it off like everything was business as usual. His mother knew something was up, though. Once uh, she had learned what he had done, she tells him, kill the boy. And better yet... Each of them would play a part in his murder so that no one speaks of it. What? This included Stanford. That's cool. No. Yeah. Oh they all God. took turns hitting Walter in the head with an axe. No. Yep. Walter was asleep in the chicken coop when they started hitting him. Only parts of his bones were discovered. <sighs> yeah. 
Lewis and Nelson Winslow were murdered in a very similar way, hit repeatedly with an axe. During the investigation of the property, the police found fragments of their remains and a library book that had been checked out by one of them, along with more letters that the boys were most likely forced to write to inform their parents that they were fine. Mm. <laughs> so you're saying that if they wouldn't have found them, eventually the library fees would have been what? Yes. Mm-hmm. The library fees would have got them. Yeah, yeah. Done mm-hmm. them in every Done time. Every didn't even sneak in the books. I know. Did all this other effort. And didn't even <laughs> return <laughs> the book and book. What an asshole. <laughs> Jeez. No respect for libraries. Like, seriously. <laughs> My also, librarian sister is listening to this right yes. now. <laughs> going, oh. yeah, I knew it. Sticky, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> thank you for listening. Oh, yes, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Jesse, two U.S. immigration detectives went to the ranch to investigate. Due to the long and winding road that led to the farm, Gordon saw them coming, so he and his mother began to flee. He told Sanford to stay put and distract them. He threatened the young boy's life, saying that he would be shot from the trees if he didn't do what he was told. And after a few moments of the detective's arrival, the boy sensed that he was safe and began to tell him all of this. Um, that he was being held against his will, that he was being abused, and about the boys as well. He's started to go into the terrible details of what happened on the farm, how Gordon would kidnap the boys and abuse them, and when he got bored, he would lure them into the chicken coop to watch the chickens hatch and proceed to hit them in the head with an axe until they were dead. <laughs> yeah. What? Come look at this chicken laying egg. Death. Was there, I guess there really just wasn't a lot to do back then. I'm just trying to think of, like, alternative hobbies. Like, I don't know. What about, like, mm. not... Tying. Bro. Whittling. 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 Uh, Actually taking care of the chickens on your farm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, hobby. Um, To cover up the evidence, he would dissolve the bodies in quicklime and then bury what remained. When Gordon and his mother saw the detectives approaching as part of the cleanup, his mother actually went around and dug up some of the bodies and tried to further destroy them and any other evidence. They were able to flee to Canada, but only held on to that sweet, sweet freedom for a mere moment, for they were arrested in Canada on September 19th, 1928. The police were trying to get them sent back to L.A. so that they could be arrested and tried in the States, but due to some paperwork issues, it was delayed until November 30th, 1928. When they were in Canada, his mother confessed to the murders, saying her son was innocent, but he also confessed to five murders. But then they both recanted their confessions once they were back in California. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, just run out, I guess just run out time and bother people and resources. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but because she couldn't let her son get into trouble, Sarah again confessed to the murder of Walter. She said she was the last one to give the fatal blow to his little head that killed him and was also the one who buried his body. She did not have a trial because of her confession, and on December 31st, 1928, she was sentenced to life in prison even though she should have received the death penalty. The judge let her off because she was a woman. During the hearing, though, she said a lot. She talked about how Gordon was abused as a child, sexually assaulted by several family members, and that she was really his grandmother, and that he was the illegitimate son of an English nobleman, that he was the result of incest between his father and his sister. Whoa, 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 whoa. a lot of stuff. <laughs> Lady. The thought is that she was trying to get the judge to have pity on her son and not sentence him to death sparing him like he did with her. She served time at the state prison and was paroled after 12 years and later died in 1944. Gordon had a different experience in the courts. His trial began in 1929. Because his mother had confessed to Walter's murder, they did not charge him with that murder, even though he was implicated in it. There is speculation that he committed up to 20 murders, but there was no evidence ever discovered to back up that theory. His trial only involved the murders of Alvin Glafia and the Wilson brothers. 
It was 27 days, and the jury took two hours to deliberate. On February 8th, 1929, Gordon was found guilty. He was sentenced to death by hanging. Mm. On October 2nd, 1930, he was sent to San Quentin State Prison, which is where Skylar DeLeon went. Yep. Scott Peterson currently is. And where Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer, Charles Manson, Richard Ramirez, Lawrence Singleton, Richard Chase, and Lawrence Bittaker all were before they died or were executed. A lot of people living do crimes oh, in California. I yep. know. Old <laughs> creeps. Good old San Quentin. California creepers. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, Gordon was sent to the gallows. Before he was executed, he asked the guard, will it hurt? He mm. also requested to be blindfolded so he didn't actually see the gallows. He was guided about 13 steps to the rope, and he said, please don't make me walk so fast. His last words were, a prayer, please. Say a prayer for me. At the time he met the noose, he was 23 years old. That's it? That's mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. all this. You did all those things at 23. Yeah. Wow. Started at 19, maybe, or maybe before that. You know, they had a shorter life expectancy <laughs> back then. You got to get it. That's you got to so get in, get your murder on, and get out. Get out. Yeah. Live, get out. Die fast, leave a pretty corpse or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> People get tattooed yeah. on their chest all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as Sanford goes, uh, his forced involvement with the crimes, he was never tried. The assistant director attorney believed his story and thought he was innocent and a victim himself. So Stanford was sent to uh, Whittier State School for an experimental form of treatment to be completely rehabilitated. He was sentenced to stay there for five years, but only ended up being there for 23 months. He progressed quickly and impressed everyone there. He later died in 1991 at 78 years old. He did go back to Canada after everything was over, and he lived out his days there. He is buried in Woodlawn Cemetery. And he had no other reports of anything, Mm-mm. so he was just a, being around in his environment trying to survive by... Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Just a 14-year-old kid who uncles 14. did terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now because of all of these horrid events, Wineville, California, decided to become Mira Loma in, on November 1st, 1930. It was in the hopes to disassociate the town from the chicken coop murders. In 2010 and 2011, parts of Miraloma were absorbed by two other cities, Eastvale and Jerupa Valley. There are some places in town that pay homage to the dark past. Uh, there's Wineville Park, Wineville Avenue, Wineville Road, and a few other places. If you have seen American Horror Story Hotel, then you might recognize who Gordon was. He's mentioned in the season where Kathy Bates' character's son was one of his possible victims. There is a scene where the cop pulls up Gordon on the police database. They, like, show him on there. They're like, why have we not talked about this guy? So, now I know that was a bit of a ride, but this next one is even more of a doozy. When I heard about the Gordon case, it reminded me of this one because it also took place on a farm. Only this time, it was pigs. So now is the time to grab a fresh cup or pot of coffee beans. Something to comfort yourselves. Mm. So this takes place in Canada. And the main player is a horrible monster named Robert Robert William Pinkton. Or Willie. Willie. Amanda knows who this is. Oh, y'all, you did. Okay, <laughs> let it be known that we don't know what the other person is going to do until this very moment. Yes. And I wasn't warned and I want to go. <laughs> this one's freaking gross. I'm get out of here. Locked out of the room. What? Uh, I'm, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you. Okay. Poor Brenna. 
I'm sure that this is just, I'm just happy to be here. I love my She's friends. So I love my friends and I love coffee. All right. And it's okay. <laughs> I'm just uh, going to, I'm just going to throw out a, please don't eat breakfast during this part. Mm, <laughs> Trigger mm -hmm, warning. Mm. That's fair. So, Willie was born October 26th, 1949 in Port Coquitlam. I actually asked uh, my friend Tim, our friend Tim, how to say that because he's from Canada. Mm, nice. British Columbia, Canada, or as he said, Poco, which is what the locals call it. So, thanks Tim. <coughs> uh, so, Willie was one of four siblings and they all owned part of this property, this farm. In February 2002, police had a search warrant for illegal firearms. At the time, he was taken into custody and the police were granted a second court order to search the farm. See, when they did the first search, they found some personal items belonging to women that had been reported missing. Oh. So the second court order to search was part of the BC Missing Women Investigation. The farm was then sealed off by the RCMP Vancouver Police Department. Willie was released later the next day after he was charged with possession of a firearm while not being a holder of a license, improper storage of a weapon, and possession of a loaded restricted firearm without a license. Though he was released, he was kept under police surveillance. Buckle up, ladies and beans, because we are diving right in. Here come the murders. Yay! Now, that all happened around the 5th of February. Later, on the 22nd, Willie was arrested and charged with two accounts of first-degree murder for the death of Mona Wilson and Serena Abotsway. And then, on April 2nd, three more charges were filed. Jacqueline McDonnell, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. Then, a sixth charge was added on April 9th for Andrea Josbury. And then, shortly after that, a seventh charge for the death of Brenda Wolfe. As the months passed, more things came to light. September 20th, four more charges for the murders of Georgina Pepin, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. Then, on October 3rd, four more. Heather Chinock, Tanea Holick, Sherry Irving, and Ingalls Hall. Have you been keeping track? <laughs> How many women's lives have been taken that the police are finding evidence of? 15. The largest serial killer victim count in Canada. But we are not done. May 26, 2005, about three years later, 12 more charges. Cara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Sarah DeVries, Carrie Kolsick, Cynthia Felix, Angela Jardin, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and Jane Doe. First-degree murder charges are now up to 27 women. How were they all finding these women? Well, they had been doing excavations on the property this whole time because of the second court order with the BC Missing Women's Investigation. The cost of this investigation estimated to about $70 million by the end of 2003. Mm -hmm. The property was fenced off under the crown in the right of British Columbia, but all the buildings have been demolished now. It was difficult for the forensic team because the bodies were left to decompose or eaten by insects, or eaten by the pigs. Yeah. There it is. There it is. They had to use some pretty hefty equipment to sift through the soil and find any possible trace of remains. In March 2004, it was discovered that some of the flesh may have been mixed with the pork on the farm. Thankfully, it was never sold in stores or anything, just, Aww. you know, handed to friends and visitors. 
It is also said that he may have just straight up fed the bodies to the pigs. During the very long and pretty intense trial, it came out that in 1997, Willie was charged with attempted murder for stabbing a sex worker. She survived and testified in 2003 at the preliminary inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she had been driven to the farm, he had sex with her, and then he handcuffed her left hand and then stabbed her stomach. (sighs) I know. She fought back and was able to stab him as well. They were treated at the same hospital. Because of that, the staff was able to find a key to the handcuff in Willie's pocket and freed her left hand. However, because she had a drug addiction and at the time she was deemed too unstable to testify the charge against him, it stayed until January 27th, 1998. The clothes, rubber boots, literally anything he had on him that night was taken into custody and left in a locker for over seven years. Mm. Then, in 2004, DNA testing was available. So, it's a good thing it got saved, because now we have DNA testing. I thought you were going to tell me it didn't get saved properly. But, it was, they did a good job. So, uh, they tested the clothing, and two of the other missing women's DNA was on them. From 97. His fucking clothes. Mm -hmm. Of course he didn't. What a dumbass. <laughs> what a psychopath. I know. The trial started on January 30th, 2006. He pleaded not guilty to 27 charges of first-degree murder. It took about a year to determine what pieces of evidence could be admitted in front of a jury. Reporters were also not allowed to talk about the material. Thank whoever you want. But that is not a common thing that we hear about. Media loves to spill things when they're not supposed to. Due to lack of evidence, one of the 27 counts was dismissed on March 2nd, 2006. Then, on August 9th, Justice Williams served the charges and ended up splitting them into six charges and 20 charges. The trial started with the group of six charges. The other 20 was set to be used in a separate hearing and ended up not being heard until almost four years later. So why did the judge split up the charges? It was explained that the judge did not want to put all of that on one jury, since the trial could last upwards of two years with such a large number, and the chance of being a mistrial is much higher. So he picked the six that had materially different evidence, unlike the 20. A lot of the evidence wasn't even heard by the jury, though, only the trial judge until about a year later. So the original jury was 12 people with two alternates, and it was completed on December 12, 2006. The trial was supposed to start on January 8th, 2007, but it was delayed until the 22nd. When the trial started, the media ban was lifted and the Canadians could finally hear about the details of this awful, awful case. The evidence was brought up including skulls cut in half with hands and feet stuffed inside them, remains stuffed at the bottom of garbage cans, blood-stained clothing found in a trailer where Willie lived on the property, jawbone and teeth found beside the slaughterhouse in the laundry room they found a revolver with a dildo attached to it and it contained dna of willie and the victims a videotaped recording which was played for the jury and willie claimed that the dildo was meant to be a makeshift silencer for a gun more i know i fucking know you know what mm-hmm. i take it back i don't like lists anymore i never want to hear another fucking, no more list, fucking again. list um so he just had to like make use of all the room that he had on his property and just shoved people inside of other people and just like under mm-hmm. stairs and around things mm-hmm. it's like one of those um you know those games like cell phone games where you're just like clicking on things to like 
find them. It's like a list. It's like a find oh, yeah. this list of things. It's like what I spy. Yeah, like <laughs> I spy more bodies, more bodies. Mm, John with the dildo. And some teeth. Oh god, there's more. So yep, uh, more evidence included: two pairs of faux fur-lined handcuffs, boxes of ammo, syringes with this blue liquid inside, Spanish fly aphrodisiac. A videotape of a friend of Willie's, Scott Chubb, saying that Willie told him a good way to kill a female heroin addict was to inject her with windshield washer fluid. Uh, that a, was my question of like, yeah. what's the blue? Is it Wind, Windex? Oh, like windshield washer fluid. Uh, Wait, what an interesting... All right. A second tape with Andrew Bellwood saying Willie said he was killing prostitutes by handcuffing them and strangling them, then... Bleeding and gutting them and then feeding them to the pigs. Mm-hmm. There were tons of photos of the items and the remains found in the garbage cans. Then uh, there was a moment on October 27th with the jury. There had been a claim that one of the jurors had already decided Willie was innocent. But there was no evidence of the claim and the juror denied it. So Justice Williams said she could stay on the jury. Due to an error when answering a question, Justice James suspended the jury deliberations on December 6, 2007. They had asked for a clarification. Are we able to say yes, find him guilty, if we infer the accused acted indirectly? Meaning, can we say he is guilty to first-degree murder if they don't believe he acted on purpose, like incidentally, which is what first-degree means. So he accidentally killed 27 people? (laughs) Right, but that would be second-degree, so that's what they're saying. So if they find him guilty because they do believe he murdered them, but not that he intended to murder them. I know. What? I know. Okay. But they're just asking for clarification. Sure, 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 sure. Do your job, do your job. Right. They all (laughs) came back on the 9th, and the verdict they agreed upon? Not guilty for first-degree murder. But don't fret. Don't fret. I'm fretting. They did accuse him. They said that he was guilty of six accounts of second degree murder, which meant that he would serve a life sentence with no possibility of parole for 10 to 25 years. If he would have received the first degree, he would have not been eligible for parole for 25 years. Then on December 11th, Judge Justice Williams read 18 victim impact statements. He said, Mr. Picton's conduct was murderous and repeatedly so. I cannot know the details, but I know this. What happened to them was senseless and despicable. The judge changed the sentencing to no possibility of parole for 25 years, which is the most you can do for second degree charge and is equal to first degree. Mm -hmm. And with all of these, there were appeals that happened. There were two appeals in June 2009 one from the prosecution and one from the defense. It was basically an appeal to appeal the acquittals that were being brought to the table. The attorney general's appeal was on the grounds of all the evidence that had been brought during the trial. The appeal kind of um, scared the victims because even though he had not received first degree, he did basically get the same sentencing with the second degree charge after the judge changed it. And if the Crown argued that the judge made errors during the trial, it could jeopardize the original conviction. It was also uh, just announced that the appeal was happening to the public before it addressed the victim's families. There was an apology for that behavior, but what's done is done. I mean, if you find that out through the media, that sucks. That really sucks. Um, And it was all done because of what-ifs. It was fears from the prosecution about Willie's side and what they might do. So they wanted to make sure they could do all 26 counts if a new trial happened. 
The time period to do an appeal is only 30 days after a trial date, so they wanted to make sure they didn't miss the window. If the defense had not filed an appeal, then they would have pulled their appeal. So basically, the prosecution only filed one as a safety net, and that was it. But they had to file it within that 30-day period, or Mm -hmm. they'd miss their window. The defense appeal was on the grounds of actually having a whole new trial where the charge was second degree, which would prove that the original judge made an error in the preliminary trial when he decided the charge to be first degree. And that would just mess everything up. So after a few back and forths and confusions, the Supreme Court of Canada decided to dismiss Picton's appeal and keep the original conviction. Everyone was like, hell no, you do not get a new trial, goodbye. However, there was a split about whether or not the judge had made errors in how things were handled. They did not pursue it further, though, because they did not want to risk overturning Picton's conviction. On the other 20 counts, it was later said by Neil McKenzie, a BC Crown spokesperson, that the charges would not be taken further. He said, in reaching their position, the branch has taken into account the fact that any additional convictions could not result in any increase to the sentence that Mr. Picton has already received. Some families were grateful that the terrible details would not be brought up again, but other were very upset because they wanted to seek justice for their lost ones as well. There was an apology from the VPD, the Vancouver Police Department, at a press conference. Deputy Chief Constable Doug Lepard said to the families, I wish from the bottom of my heart that we would have caught him sooner. I wish that the several agencies involved that we could have done better in so many ways. I wish that all the mistakes that were made we could undo. And I wish that more lives would have been saved. So on my behalf and the behalf of the Vancouver Police Department and all the men and women that worked on this investigation, I would say to the families how sorry we are for your losses and because we did not catch this monster sooner. So the victim list is heartbreakingly long and even more came out after the trial. He was also convicted of the six murders and the other 20 murders did not go to court, but there were upwards of 23 more women that fell victim. He claims 49 victims. Uh, He spoke to someone in prison about it. Some additional names I found were Mary Ann Clark, a.k.a. Nancy Greek, uh, Yvonne Marie Bone, and Dawn Teresa Cray. The Crown reported that Willie had told an officer that he wanted to kill one more woman to make it an even 50, and the only reason he got caught was because he got floppy. Mm. (sighs) And I found an article in 2016 where one of the investigators goes back to the location of the farm. It's now townhouse condos and walking paths, a soccer field. It looks totally innocent and a completely normal place. You'd never know that it was once the place of this house of horrors for so many women. When the former Vancouver Police Department detective visited, they said, Standing here now, I don't feel that much. It's a lot like a historical landmark. It's a place where you know terrible things happened, but a lot has changed. Now, I first learned about this case after watching an episode of Criminal Minds. Afterwards, I was like, was that real? And it sure enough was. And that, my ladies and beans, are the stories of two guys and their awful farms. Any final sips? What did I write? I think I wrote, fuck farms. That was my... (laughs) I wrote, fuck farms. I also wrote for the first one, where were the parents? Oh, wait. They were right there. Yeah, they were But okay, so, um... Question about, because you kept alluding to their relationship. Was there something, like, incestuous going on with them? With Gordon and his mom? No, she was just very attentive to him, and there wasn't any reports that incest actually happened. Okay. Yeah, just, like, 
helicopter parenting. And then she spewed out in their trial that like he was the product of his father and his sister incest. So there may have been some incest in the family. I didn't see anything mm. about the two of them specifically, but she's just obsessed with him. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think we've learned from this, from Jason Voorhees. <laughs> uh, farms are... Norman Bates. Yep. Just was another a helicopter mo- parents, Helicopter right? mothers. Mm-hmm. It's just a recipe for danger. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Leave people's land alone. <laughs> for real. Um, so I have a quote from a movie. Oh. As my final sip. Okay. <clears throat> then I hear the best thing to do is feed them to pigs. You gotta starve the pigs for a few days, then the sight of a chopped up body will look like curry to a piss head. You gotta shave the heads of your victims and pull the teeth out for the sake of the piggy's digestion. You could do this afterwards, of course, but you don't want to go sieving through pig shit now, do you? They will go through bone like butter. You need at least 16 pigs to finish the job in one sitting. So be wary of any man who keeps a pig farm. They will go through a body that weighs 200 pounds in about 8 minutes. That means that a single pig can consume 2 pounds of uncooked flesh every minute. Hence the expression, as greedy as a pig. Oh my god. Oh, thanks. What, what movie is that from? That's from the movie Snatch. Oh, Snatch. Yes. I think I heard it before. Yeah, uh, that's from the movie Snatch, and I think that's uh, Alan Ford's character Bricktop talking. That's great. I think the actor's name is Alan Ford. But yeah, it's But incredible. yeah, that's, that pretty much that's, sums it up. Yeah. This was not, and he was not the first or the last person to oh, use no. pigs. No, no, I'm I sure not. Because I recently heard a, a Morbid episode where they were talking about a woman that used pigs. Oh, good. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. My final sip is this. So, once these guys were arrested, that is when more people came forward to tell their stories. Sanford only started talking when he was safely with detectives, and once Willie was arrested, neighbors came forward. Fear is a very real thing, and to be put in these scary situations is awful. But just like they did, the moment you find a chance to speak up, do. Sanford told his sister in the wee hours of the night, and she got things started. Someone reported illegal guns on the farm, and that's what got things started. It's scary to speak up, but if you don't, then more terrible things will happen. And even in little things, if you see someone being mean or making an inappropriate comment, you know, safely find a way to speak up or tell someone who can help. We need to help each other and look out for each other. And that is my final sip. That's a very good final sip. Boom, baby. Boom. Words to live by. Words to live by. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Beans, Thanks, for Beans. listening. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope you enjoyed another episode of Morning Bears. Oh, no. It's <laughs> the piggies. The piggies. Have a murder you like to talk about over coffee? We would love to hear about it. Email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. In today's show notes, you can find our cited research as well as a few of our favorite mental health resources. I almost dropped my iPad. I wouldn't like that. No, neither would have my iPad. There was a moment where none of us were talking. So. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Never happened to day in my goddamn life. You're the sound dude. Uh. <laughs> Out of the three of us, uh, you're the sound guy. So I did yeah. radio in high school. <laughs> Hooray. Yep, yeah, not, not at all the same. <laughs> <laughs>
Amanda. 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 Nicole. Nicole. of cocaine cocaine he told Stanford to stay where he was no to stay what am I trying to write here to stay put probably the attorney general's appeal was on the grounds of all the evidence that had been brought to the dirt that had been and we're done Yes. <laughs> it's just so that I know that when things are over and I can edit them later in my memories. Ah, uh, yes. I think yeah. I'm going to start doing that at parties. You know, when you're, like, stuck talking to that person and you're yeah. like, cool, I would like to move on now, but it's kind of weird if I just, like, go Away? elsewhere. So, I just... <laughs> <laughs> and clap. Well, clap. Um, if you would do the honor again, Bren, I am recording now, so if you want to clap. I think I just did a clap. I could do it. Okay. It's... Yeah. <laughs>